Hike the trail? Check. Order takeout? Check. Schedule heart checkup? Done. We've all adapted to a new way of living. Keep your health care on schedule with Johns Hopkins Medicine, where your health and safety are our highest priorities. We're ready to care for you through virtual and in-person visits across Maryland and the greater Washington region. Your health, our experts, safely caring for you. Schedule your care now. Learn more at hopkinsmedicine.org forward slash safe. Me, 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 but also you. The Pharaoh fast forwards his favorite foreign film, Powder Donut. <clears throat> okay, what's my line? Uh, the only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the name your price tool from Progressive. Oh man, that's a tongue twister, huh? I'm sorry, I'm gonna need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous Walrus, the Bulbous Walrus. The name your price tool, only from Progressive. The owl ran afoul of the comatose Coxswain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law. It's time to talk the world's game from an American perspective. Presented by Three Lions Pub, you're listening to Two Up Front, where we focus on all things American soccer. From the NWSL, MLS, U.S. national teams, and all the way to the youth levels. Now in the studio, your hosts, Baxter Colburn and Simon Provan. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the next edition of Two Up Front, presented by Three Lions Pub here at the Attention Era Media Studios. We are live on Brew Sports. We hope your Wednesday is going well for you today. Uh, just myself today, actually, on the program. No Simon Provan. It is a little unfortunate. Uh, Simon had some stuff come up uh, with the family dog. So uh, as you can see by the wide shot here, no Simon Provan, unfortunately. So uh, we're still going to have some great guests for you today, of course, on the program. But uh, unfortunately, no Simon Provan. So you and I are going to have uh, some conversations. We're going to review the weekend that was in the soccer world as well, too, of course. But uh, as I mentioned, no Simon Provan today, unfortunately. So a little little bummed by that. But uh, we, uh, we definitely look forward to, to having him back again on the show next week. Uh, if, you, if you missed any of last week's program, uh, we invite you to go check out our website, 2upfrontsoccer.com. Of course, you can go to brewsportsnet.com as well, too, to catch all the past um, episodes of everything that Brew Sports does, but also everything that 2upfront uh, has done as well, too. Reminders, well, if you inter- want to interact with the broadcast, you can do at Baxter Colburn on Twitter, at Simon Provan, uh, at 2UpFrontSoccer, at BrewSportsNet. All kinds of ways to get in, get in with us here as well. Comment below, of course, on the stream as well as we move through the program uh, with anything that we talk about in the soccer world. Uh, you can get us here on Wednesdays from 10 to a little under 11 a.m. Central Time live on Brew Sports Facebook. So a lot of great things to get to today on the program. Uh, one of the first things we want to talk about overall uh, is looking at what, it go- what is going on in the soccer world, of course, the kick-around segment. Uh, the, the big thing that I think a lot of folks are circling in around, at least the U.S. soccer realm as a whole, I think some people are really excited about the U.S. men's national team U-20s uh, claiming their first CONCACAF U-20 championship. Uh, they won it in a shootout versus Honduras. I know if Simon were here, he'd be all over the U20s. Uh, you know, he's always a big supporter of the youth systems that we have here for uh, the men's and women's national teams. And uh, we had we'd been tracking this the last couple of weeks, uh, and then we were obviously going to talk about it today in detail. But then, of course, you know, as we mentioned with Simon not being here today. Uh, We're going to address it the way we are now. So uh, some big news, some exciting news, of course, for the U.S. uh, U-20s. You look at uh, they won a shootout victory after following a 0-0 draw with Honduras. uh, um, Yeah, with Honduras. That's what it was. They won 5-3 in penalty kicks. So uh, a big monumental thing here for U.S. soccer because this actually gives the U.S., like I said, their first CONCACAF title ever at the U-20 realm. Uh, U.S. Captain Eric Palmer Brown, a player for Sporting KC, was named. Uh, he was awarded the Golden Ball as the tournament's best player, uh, while Jonathan Klinsman, yes, former men's national team coach Jurgen Klinsman's son, uh, won the Golden Glove for best goalkeeper. Now you hear things like this, and you have to feel like there has to be a lot of positivity now for the U.S. At least at the U20 level, you've got these great players in the youth system that also plays some of the best college soccer and some you know and some of them play for some of the better MLS teams as well too. I think that's a huge accomplishment honestly if you you look at what this program has been able to accomplish here by winning their first CONCACAF championship. It it, it provides the opportunity uh for the US to continue to go forward, to continue to really continue to change 
the landscape of U.S. soccer because for so long even the senior team struggled to be relevant, and now the senior team continues to be competitive and relevant on the men's and women's side. Now we're trying to get the youth systems up to the same par that we're seeing from some of the other national teams as well, too. So, I mean, how many times do we see an Argentina, a Spain, a Brazil? They're they're good through and through, even Mexico as well, too. You see these guys through and through, and now the United States is starting to find a little bit more success at the youth levels uh, with this U-20 CONCACAF championship victory. So a big congratulations to uh, those young men on their accomplishment. Uh, we're going to be talking to Dan Laletta here in just a little while on the shopfutsal.com call-in line. Uh, about the U.S. women's national team crashing and burning in the She Believes Cup, only getting three total points from the three games that they played. Just an absolute waxing that they had to go through last night against France. Granted, RFK Stadium looked like a dumpster fire in terms of the state of the field. I'm going to ask Dan for sure about that to get his comments about uh, what he wants to make about that. It is kind of upsetting, though, I mean, the conditions that some of these gals had to play in, or even just the teams as a whole. I mean, I understand you want to bring soccer to the United States, and like I said, I'll get into this with Dan a little bit more, so I'm not going to give you all my my hoopla and whatnot on that. Uh, Did you see that the United States uh, has their Gold Cup draw officially? Uh, They're going to be playing uh, Panama, Martinique, and either Haiti or Nicaragua in the 2017 CONCACAF Gold Cup, those games July 8th, 12th, and 15th. Um, those games will be held at Nissan Stadium, Raymond James Stadium, and the other one is escaping me off the top of my head, of course. However, uh, you'd like to think, you look at this group, um, Panama, I know, has given the United States a little bit of trouble in the last couple of years. Martinique, not terribly worried. Whether it's Haiti or Nicaragua, the United States, I feel fairly confident, is going to to march forward uh, winning that game. And then, yeah, I, I feel like the U.S., on a, on a quick glance, on a, on a quick uh, first energy stadium in Cleveland, okay, is where the, where's that last game that either Haiti or Nicaragua game is going to be held. I feel like the United States basically got dealt the easiest group. Panama's going to be the hardest team that they're going to have to futz with. Haiti or Nicaragua aren't going to do anything. Martinique, not really expecting much from them as well, too. So I feel like the United States can at least breathe easy. I don't think we're going to see a lot of tinkering from Bruce Arena like we did from Jurgen Klinsmann. We know that Klinsman, of course, was very, very, very lovey when it came to tinkering and changing his back line and changing the, the starting rotation. And he was basically changing everything. I'm surprised he didn't. I mean, he basically changed himself right up a job, basically, is what it came down to. United States, they have one of the easiest groups, in my personal opinion. I think that they will do just fine. Uh, the U.S. apparently, though, and reading this as I'm as I'm telling you a little bit as well, to the United States is six, six, and five overall against Haiti. Uh, and has gone 2-0-1 uh, during uh, recent CONCACAF play. So obviously Haiti's been a little bit more difficult in years past than the United States would like. However, I feel like the United States is going to bring a lot of their big dogs, their big guns out to this game. Not really worried, in all honesty, about who they think. Uh, I feel like they're going to at least get a minimum of six points out of the group. And then I think, like I said, Panama is going to be a, a challenge for them. But realistically, though, this is going to be a very easy path to at least the knockout round. Uh, Bruce Arena was even quoted as saying, it's a perfect year, uh, perfect years to qualify for the World Cup and win the Gold Cup. So he's trying to shoot for the stars here and saying, hey, let's get through qualification. We know the U.S. has dug themselves into a little bit of a hole recently. Let's qualify for the World Cup and let's go out and win the, World, in the, win the Gold Cup in our backyard at the same time. If you want to talk about a successful first year, in coaching, uh, Bruce Arena, I think, would certainly take that. I think a lot of us would take that. If we could you know, get that promotion at work and then also go land a big deal at the same time, I feel like most people aren't going to be too mad about that, in all honesty. So keep an eye on that. Uh, drop your predictions below if you think the United States is going to sweep their group in the Gold Cup. Um, do you, are you worried about any of the teams that they have to face? Panama, uh, Nicaragua, or Haiti, uh, or Martinique uh, as well, too. So those games, as I mentioned, coming up in July will be uh, the time for those games to take place. We're going to speak with Dan Laletta here in just a moment, as I mentioned on the shopfutsal.com call-in line. I was really excited to talk with Simon this week, but uh, as I mentioned, since he's not here and since, he's, uh, since Simon is out sick this week, uh, I, was, I don't know if anybody saw this or not, the Bob Ross TIFO that the Portland Timbers uh, put on display. Um, if you guys watched the Bob Ross PBS specials back in the day, he would always you know, have that. First of all, Bob Ross's hair, right? Can I can I get an amen on the Bob Ross hair? Seriously, holy cow. 
uh, super jealous of Bob Ross's hair and what he is able to do. <laughs> but uh, you, you look at um, what, uh, what the Timbers did. They are notorious for the TIFOs that they put together. And he was able, uh, the Timbers were able to put together this Bob Ross painting, uh, painting the trees, you know, paint the, paint the, the pretty little trees, basically. And it was just a, an epic, but also kind of a, kind of a funny thing at the same time. So props to the Portland Timbers for their TIFO game being on point opening weekend, as they also then would proceed to go and just throttle the Minnesota United Loons 5-1 to one as well. So we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit later on. Three Lions Pub in Milwaukee, Wisconsin is just the place for me. They've got everything. Great pub food, a wonderful selection of draft beers, and a brilliant atmosphere, especially during Premier League matches. Check out the Three Lions Pub menu at threelionspub.com, where you can also find all their specials and the great events that take place throughout the year. Three Lions Pub, where across the pond is now across the street. Time to talk about another um, unfortunate throttling. The United States losing 3-0 to France last night and finishing last in the She Believes Cup. We get to talk to the equalizers. Dan Lauletta now on the shopfutsal.com. Call in line. Dan, happy Wednesday, sir. How are we doing today? I'm doing pretty well. Thanks for having me. How are you guys? Uh, not doing too bad. Uh, like I said, I don't know if you heard or not, no Simon today, unfortunately. His dog is uh, out sick, so Simon is out sick as well, too, unfortunately. So okay. you're stuck with just me today, unfortunately, Dan. We'll, we'll make the best of it. Absolutely, absolutely. I feel like you and I would be at least, you know, you know, put a goal in the back of the net during a, a game uh, in, in the She Believes Cup. Uh, but let's uh, let's talk about this. The United States finishing finishing last, getting three points from three games. Realistically, I mean, I think a lot of people were, at least in my opinion, were a little mixed about how they thought the U.S. was going to finish in this tournament. Anytime you get four of the best of, of any sport together, you know, somebody's going to finish in last place. It, it's it's obviously it's it's the nature of sports. Someone's going to finish in last place. Someone's going to underperform. But what were your takeaways from how the U.S. did here in the in the She Believes Cup? Well, you also had the three teams getting ready for the Euros, where the U.S. is on a little bit of a different cycle, and they're literally. True at the beginning of what is intended to be a build-up for the 2019 World Cup. That being said, I don't think it's easy to take away a lot of positives, to be honest with you. They I would went agree. Three, three games, they scored one goal. It wasn't exactly a team build-up goal. It was an individual effort by Kristen Press. He had the crossbar. Keeper and defenders are out of position, and Lynn Williams cleans it up. They all count, of course, but you want to have more team build-up goals. Yeah, they left some chances on the table maybe against England. There was a ball cleared off the line yesterday that would have made it 2-1 to one when France, at the time France, was running over them. But I didn't see a lot offensively. And then you look at what France was able to do. Now, France is quick. They might be the fastest team in the world at this point. But France really exposed every weakness that the U.S. had with this new 3-5-2 formation that Jill Ellis is kind of insistent upon running. So I don't know that any one person stood out. You know, Rose Lavelle had a real nice debut, but she was a little bit quieter, a lot quieter, really, yesterday against France. So I don't know that anybody stood out, and I don't know that there's a lot that you leave this tournament from the United States perspective and say, hey, this was great. This is something to build on. And the next two games are against Russia. And that's not likely to give a whole lot of clues either. And that was kind of one of the things that I was taking away from. I, I was able to, to catch the tail end of the USA-England game just off of work obligations. And then I was able to just you know, see most of the, the big highlights from the U.S.-France game last night. I, I, one of the things that I noticed, and, and correct me if I'm wrong because I know you were able to catch all the games, but does Carly Lloyd seem slower and just less effective as she used to be? I don't know that she seems slower than she used to be, but I think she's in a position where right now where movement is a big key. And I think probably her best, you know, what Carly Lloyd does best is score goals. I think if you look at the totality of Carly Lloyd's career, she has built her resume on scoring big goals in big games, two Olympic gold medal matches and the world cup final is one of the iconic 16 minutes and, really in recent American sports history. Correct, yes. But Carly Lloyd, week in and week out, game in and game out, is not a player that has traditionally had a huge impact on the field. Now, last night in particular, I thought it would have behooved Jill Ellis to maybe take Carly Lloyd out of the game at halftime because she played all of the first game. 
She played most of the second game. Understandable to a point because of her local ties to that area. She's also the co-captain. But at halftime yesterday, she really had made no impact on the game. And I thought that Jill Ellis in this period, and, and she's the first one to acknowledge, it's a period of development and experimentation, put somebody else in that spot, put Alex Morgan in that spot, put yes, Lindsay yep. Horan in that spot, put anybody in that spot, and she didn't do it until very late in the game. So I don't know if Carly Lloyd is any slower and less effective. I'm sure she's a little bit past her peak at 34, but I just think she's in a position that doesn't utilize her strengths, and I think building an attack on her being in the center of the park is just not something that I think will ever be effective on a game-in, game-out basis. That doesn't mean that they might play France again, and, and she might be the best player out there. But right, on yes. On a consistency basis, uh, that's not what I would prefer to see. What do you uh, – you had an opportunity, obviously, as I mentioned, the, uh, to, to catch all of these games, and we've debated this on the show in the past before. The players that win to Europe currently that are also now back for the United States, you know, Alex Morgan, Crystal Dunn, Carly Lloyd, among others, did, did any of the players seem – sharper or more dynamic or more experienced for the, now that they're playing in Europe right now instead of just doing their off-season training here for the NWSL season? Well, Carly Lloyd, I don't think, has started yet. She was in Man City and yes. signed the contract and then came back for the She Believes camp, so we'll leave her out of it. And Alex Morgan missed the last few games for Leon with an injury, so it's difficult to really say whether or not being in Europe has done any benefit to Alex Morgan. And then you have Crystal Dunn. Now, Crystal Dunn has been playing in a forward position over in the FAWSL, and she has looked completely lost as the wingback in the five-woman midfield for Ella. She looked a little bit better when she came in off the bench last night against France, and I'm a little baffled by it because she's got the speed. She can defend. Yes. She can take players on. So I'm not totally sure why we've seen it, but I thought I think you can make a case that in the first two games that Crystal Dunn was the weakest link on the team. I don't expect that to continue. I think she's way too good and way too complete of a player. And part of it might just be that the that the three in the back weren't able to to effectively play balls into the midfield, but I was a little bit baffled by Crystal Dunn. But it's hard to say whether she's sharp because she's playing a completely different position for the national right. team than she is now for her club team, which happens all over the world. But it, it's tough comparison. I think maybe we'll see a little bit more maybe come April or maybe a little bit later on. I'm not sure anybody's been there and really been in the mix enough time to to judge. Yeah, and I would agree with you on that one as well, too. We are talking to Dan Laletta on the shopfutsal.com call-in line uh, of the Equalizer. So where does the United States go from here, Dan? I know uh, one of the other big questions surrounding the tournament was the goalkeeper situation as well, too. Did we get any other solid answers of who the true number one should be going forward? I don't think so. I think Alyssa Nayer played very well in the first game. I think Ashlyn Harris played very well in the second game. And I think it's difficult to judge a goalkeeper in a game like last night when your midfield and your back line get completely run over. Yes. I still think Alyssa Nayer has a little bit of an edge. I think Nayer's a better keeper than Ashlyn Harris. That being said, style-wise, you can make an argument that maybe Ashlyn Harris's style fits this current formation a little bit better because – Jill Ellis was very proud on Saturday that the keepers hadn't punted in two games, and I don't think that Nayer punted at all last night either. So that mm. would be three games and no keeper punch. She wants everything played out. Harris is a little bit better yes. with her feet. Um, as far as where do they go from here, I, I mean, honestly, I think Ellis needs to sit down and, and make a decision here. She's she's trying to install this three-five-two formation. She's making it seem like it is much more difficult than I think it should be. And I wonder, is she making up a formation and then deciding, okay, we need to figure out who plays in this formation, or is she looking at the player she has and saying, this is the best formation for us to play? And I know there's a lot of consternation about Allie Long at central defense. Agreed. And she'll have better games, obviously, than last night. But finally, we saw everything. We saw every reason not to put Allie Long at central defense. I don't think she's as comfortable on the ball. She went into the midfield when Julie Johnson came in, also went in the midfield a little bit when she came on as a sub on Saturday at Red Bull Arena. Both times I thought mm -hmm. she looked instantly more comfortable on the ball in the midfield. I think the combination of the fact that you've got better people to play that position and that she has a better position 
makes it very confusing as to why they're trying to hammer Ali Long into that centermost position in the in the three center back formation. So uh, to me, where they go from here is they need to decide if they're going to keep up with this because at this point, I think it's fair to say, so far it's not working. Yes, it shouldn't take it should not take from October until March. You're still tinkering with the formation. <laughs> and I don't mean tinkering. I mean, it shouldn't be that you're still trying to figure out how to play it when you've got a good number of the best players in the world on your roster. That's just my opinion. Go to the NWSL Championship. Jim Gabera installed a very similar setup in a week. Yeah. And more or less, that formation worked out for him. The U.S. has better players that shouldn't be taking this long. I would agree with you on that one, absolutely. Yeah, the Ali Long debate is something that Simon and I have talked about a lot as well, too. And we had Ali on the show about a month and a half, two months ago as well. We asked her about it as well, and she she did allude that she is more comfortable playing that midfield position. And as you mentioned, as soon as we saw her back in that you know comfortable home that she likes to call the midfield, a world of difference, honestly, than trying to be that, you know, I, that woman on I, an island. And I think Ali Long is a fine player, and I think... And I've heard from a lot of people that she is working harder than you can imagine at trying to become a better central defender. Agreed. I just don't think it suits her at this level. I mean, think about it. She's going to go back to her club now. And barring anything really strange, she'll be in the midfield. And Emily Sonnet, who was on the She Believes roster and didn't get a minute, will be playing in central defense with Emily Mengus, who a lot of people think is good enough to get a call in and get a bit of a call in hmm. late last year. So think about that dynamic where you have Sonnet. I mean, it's not. I don't think that it's going to even be a question that Sonnet and Mangus are the center backs in Portland with Long playing higher up the field. I would agree with you on that one. One thing I was curious to get your opinion about, did you see or hear any backlash about the terrible field conditions of RFK Stadium? Not that RFK is, you know, Old Trafford, but it looked pretty crappy <laughs> last night, honestly. Well, I wasn't there. And I, you know, I saw obviously that that fans were not pleased about it beforehand, but I didn't hear anything about it afterwards. It was also raining pretty good from like midway through the first half on. That makes a field slick and probably takes away from the field being perfect to be, you know. But you know what, DC United's building their new stadium. True. I think that's actually happening now. And uh, there's a lot of great things about RFK, but they have not kept it up well. I haven't been there in many years, but uh, I know there were some seats falling apart and some yeah. places where it's leaking. So uh, maybe we won't. Maybe next time we go to D.C., we'll be playing in a different stadium. That would certainly be something, that's for sure. All right, final thing, Dan, before we let you go, your overall impressions of the, the youngsters, Mal Pugh, uh, you already talked about Rose a little bit as well, too. Uh, how, how did the youngsters fare now getting a shot to be around some of these veterans again for an extended period of time? Well, Rose Lavelle, important thing is that she came in and sat, I just want, I can't stress enough how uncomfortable it was Saturday at Red Bull Arena. I'm not convinced those games should have been played, not because of player mm. safety, but I really don't think it was healthy for fans to be sitting outside for what amounted to five hours and that's if you just walked in and kick off yeah and stayed till the final whistle so you take that into to account and uh, you know and you and you realize that one thing that's important and can't be taught and it doesn't matter how much skill you have is can you walk on the field in your national team jersey and play and act like you belong there and rose lavelle did that 100 percent so Agreed. I think the future is bright for her. I think the Breakers will be certainly an exciting team to watch. Whether they win a lot of games, we'll find out. So the future is bright there. And Mallory Pugh, still a work in progress, but there aren't too many people who can defend her when she's one-on-one. And the thing that Mal Pugh does, and she's 18, remember? Yes. The thing that Mallory Pugh does that's very impressive is she beats players and she can keep possession of the ball while beating players and then do something productive with it while she's beating players. And that's the goal. <laughs> Absolutely. So, you know, she's just coming back off of an injury. She hadn't played a whole lot since the Olympics. So I think she still has some things to work on with her game because you don't want to become the player that only takes on defender if you want because then the opponent just sends over some help. And if you don't have anything more to your arsenal, then that becomes a problem. But, um yeah, we'll see what happens because Pew apparently is going to still be enrolled at UCLA and play in college. He should be pretty dominant, especially on that UCLA team. 
And uh, but I think yeah, the future is bright for both. We didn't get to see Brianna Pinto. I thought maybe last night, three zero down, fifteen minutes. I to was kind of thinking the first that. Yeah. out of the way. Uh, you know, maybe they already told her beforehand she wasn't going in. She wasn't mentally ready for it. But um, you know, I, you have to assume that she'll be back. But I, you know, to be honest, I don't know. I don't know a whole heck of a lot about her. Fair enough. All right, Dan. Good stuff. Uh, where can people find your work and find you on social media as well? Well, it's EqualizerSoccer.com, and I've got a post up from last night about my thoughts on the game, both the U.S. and France. And by the way, let's not take away from France. France yeah. was extraordinary. The, I was going to say, all the credit in the in world to game. France. They looked fantastic, honestly. They, yes, they, you know, the U.S. had its flaws, but the reason they, were, they showed up so much is because France was able to exploit them. And uh, the Twitter handle is the Dan Lawletta, and that's L-A-U-L-E-T-T-A. Awesome stuff, Dan. Thank you so much, sir. We'll talk to you again soon, all right? Thanks, Baxter. Appreciate it. All right. There goes Dan Lawletta of The Equalizer on theshopfootsell.com. Call in line. Some good stuff from Dan. A lot of uh, thinker kind of things. And that was the big thing that I would think a lot of folks were so concerned about going into this game as or going into this tournament as a whole, was the goalkeeper battle, where Ali Long was going to play, how the youngsters were going to do, and really the state of some of those international players coming in as well, too. And as you kind of heard from Dan, nobody really got an answer. We Aside from Ali Long, she should not be at center back. If there's one thing that we learned, it's Ali Long is not a center back. I don't care that she's 5'11", 6 feet tall. Just because you're tall and strong doesn't mean you should play on defense. She is also a vicious presence in the field and the midfield as well too and i think portland almost won an nwsl championship last year because of the play of Allie long and i think they're going to be even better this year so you know keep that in mind mark parsons and portland as you go into the season Allie long is not a center back she is a midfielder that is creative that can stretch the field and can most importantly get up the field and score your goals as well too i mean a unc product all the way that's what unc players are taught to do they're taught to get up the field they're taught to defend they're taught to shoot they're taught to score UNC, a soccer powerhouse in the women's college world for a reason. All right, so good stuff from Dan. Uh, we're going to be hearing from Kyle Tate as well, too, from uh, about Atlanta United's opening day. He was there at the stadium to see the chaos and excitement of Bobby Dodd. I love the name of that stadium, Bobby Dodd. Such a, a Georgia thing, honestly. One of the things I actually want to talk about really fast, aside from the U.S. women's national team, is uh, if you haven't looked, uh, 538.com um, has their forecast and power index ratings for nine soccer leagues. So for those of you that are big soccer fans, you, uh, you need to go check this out because they have the upcoming forecast for the NWSL season. They've already got it rolling for MLS as well based off of you know current results. And you know it's an ongoing sort of a thing that they do, but... I wanted to, to get people's raw reactions about how some of these ratings have kind of come down the line for the NWSL. Uh, you look at it right now, they've got it all ranked out based off of their uh, their offense, their defense, their predicted wins, their predicted points, their percentage of making the playoffs, percentage of making the finals, and percentage of winning the final as well, too. Uh, the, the most immediate thing that just jumps out and kind of slaps me in the face is the Boston Breakers being predicted to be the worst team again in the NWSL. Now, I understand that Boston has absolutely revamped their entire team. I mean, we've heard from Coach Matt Beard. We've heard from other Breakers players. We've heard from soccer analysts. Simon and I have said it a hundred times as well, too. If there's one thing we can predict with a lot of confidence, it's that Boston's not going to finish in last place this coming season with all the additions, plus Rose Lavelle anchoring that team as well, too. I'd be shocked if Boston is, not, is in last place. But 538, with all their analytics and all their statistics, thinks that the Breakers are only going to win probably around seven games. They think they're going to lose at least 13, maybe 14, and they said they have a 3% chance of making the playoffs. I find that a little bit ludicrous, personally. I think that this Breakers team, with all the enhancements that they've added, whether it was through the draft or through all the free agent signings that they've done and the trades, they've been trading and trading and trading, I w you have to be a fool to believe that Boston isn't going to at least be a... What's a realistic expectation? A top seven team? A top six team? I mean, four teams out of the ten make the playoffs. I believe that Boston's going to be at least this top seven team. Maybe there you go. There's my I Believe segment for the, for the later part of the show. Boston, you've got a lot of really good things to offer. I think that they have what it takes, and I think that they're going to 
turned a lot of heads as well, too, honestly, when it, this upcoming season. Orlando's uh, in ninth. Houston is in eighth. I can't really argue with Houston. They made a couple of moves, honestly, as a Dash fan. You know, the Dash jersey as well, too, right over there, of course. I uh, I don't know. I, I'd like to think that Houston's going to be really good this year. You've got Melissa Henderson. You've got Kelia Ojai. You've got Lydia Williams. You've got a, a pretty talented attacking team. I'm noticing a theme that the teams that I follow in professional soccer or even professional sports all have really good offenses, but their defenses are terrible. New England Revolution, Houston Dynamo, or Houston Dash, rather, Green Bay Packers. I don't know. I don't really follow anybody else after that, honestly. So, I mean, the Brewers are pretty bad overall. I don't really follow them. The Bucks, decent offense. Defensively, I mean, nobody nobody likes to play. You can't really play defense in basketball, but this isn't a basketball show. We, I can figure that out later. But just a, a strange coincidence. I don't know. I like offense. I was always an offensive guy when I played my sports. So they've got Sky Blue listed up here as number seven, Washington at six, which I think is the surprise because Washington is basically cleaned house traded away almost all of their high-caliber elite players to different teams, especially to Seattle, uh, and somehow they still think that they're going to finish as high as number six. That, I think, is where 538 goes wrong. I'm sorry, Washington is not going to win 10 games this year. I, I just don't see that being a realistic thing, honestly. I would be, I would be just, I'd be dumbfounded if Washington finishes six or higher this season, honestly. Kansas City falling in here at number five. Uh, Chicago, the first playoff team at four. Seattle, of course, as we mentioned, uh, number three. Portland, number two. And North Carolina predicted to repeat as champions. Well, obviously, that makes the most sense. And Simon and I have talked about this on the show as well before. You replace your, you know, you replace virtually nobody. You just change a... Uh, you just change location. That's all they did. How many people have the courage lost this offseason? Not hardly anybody, honestly. They've got their head coach back. They've got all their good players back. Lynn Williams, Jess McDonald, Sam Mewis, among others. I mean, how do you how do you argue against that the courage aren't going to at least be a top three team again? If you lose virtually nobody and you won the championship last year, you'd like to think that you're going to be even you know equally about the same this year. The argument, of course, with that is that while you stayed the same with your great players and the rest of the league kind of went up, then you would also assume then the other teams like Portland and Seattle and Chicago, who have been making moves in a positive direction, may drop now because of that. So, yeah, it's 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 strange. Do I think that the Carriage are going to finish first in the standings, not necessarily even win the Cup, but finish first? No, no, I don't. Uh, I think that they're going to be a top-four team, absolutely. Uh, I think number one is a bit high, personally, come prediction stance. Uh, they have a 17% chance of winning the NWSL final, according to 538.com, a 65% chance of making the finals. And then you've got Portland and Seattle, who are right behind them at 54 and 56%. Uh, that's kind of strange, though, honestly. I'm looking at this 538. Portland, or Seattle has a better chance of making the playoffs, 56%, over Portland, who has a 54%. However, uh, Seattle is listed as third best overall, so they're thinking they're going off of goal difference here, of course. So cheeky goal difference gets me every time. Uh, all right, we need to move along with the program here. Uh, like I said, we're going to be talking to Kyle Tate from 92.9, the game down in Atlanta here in just a brief moment. Uh, but yeah, let me know your thoughts. Comment below, of course, as I mentioned as well about how you think this whole 538 thing is going with uh, the Courage being listed as number one. MLS has this as well, too. Uh, looking at how the, currently 538 thinks the Red Bulls um, and the and Toronto FC actually have the best chance of winning MLS Cup 2017, a 9% chance to win based off of day number one. Uh, a team that is currently at a 3% chance to uh, win MLS Cup 2017 is Atlanta United. They lost their opening game to uh, a very feisty New York Red Bulls. They lose 2-1, to one, and a man that saw it firsthand is Kyle Tate, and he joins us now on theshopfutsal.com. Call in line. Kyle, good afternoon to you, sir. How are you? Hey, Baxter. Good to hear from you, buddy. Good to hear from you as well, too, sir. I, I have to tell you, your social media game on over the weekend was on point because I felt like I was at the game based yeah. off of all the things that you kept posting. Tell us about the atmosphere. It looked in just incredible, honestly. Yeah, it was an amazing day for the city of Atlanta, um, Bobby Dodd Stadium. It was a special day for me, too, because, you know, I went to Georgia Tech and yes. so for them to have the inaugural game at the stadium that I've seen so many American football games to see football of a different sort played on 
uh, just really surreal. Uh, we had a three-and-a-half-hour pregame show on site right outside of the main gate for 92.9 The Game, which is now the flagship for Atlanta United. And seeing the, the entire operation from the vendors and food trucks early in the afternoon to all the fans, 55,000-plus, which actually was the fourth largest attendance in the world over the weekend. Unbelievable. Um, it was behind, yeah, I can't remember... Uh, there was a game in Germany that it was behind. I think it was Dortmund, and then Manchester United and Barcelona drew sure. more. And other than that, it was Atlanta United. So it was pretty amazing, um, just a, a, an incredible crowd. And I was surprised at the education level of the crowd, too. They knew exactly when hmm. to cheer, and it wasn't just on goals. I mean, Miguel Almiron at one point dribbled his way out of a triple team, and the crowd cheered at that. Uh, there was one point where there was a double team on the right back, and he was able to get it out and, and with skill get it across the way and cross it to the left side. And um, there were it was a, a really, really amazing crowd. It was awesome. What did you think of the uh, the starting 11 lineup that was trotted out there by Tata Martinez? Uh, you know, some household names, at least in U.S. soccer, Greg Garza leading the uh, leading the charge there. But a lot of these other gentlemen as well, too, aside from Michael Parkhurst, kind of just trying to set the tone of who their career is going to be in MLS. Yeah, and that's one of the things that Darren Eels, the team president, who came over from Tottenham, uh, about two years ago when the team was announced, uh, it, it, that's what he wanted to do. He didn't want to go after an old established name like a Kaká or, a, you know, to go further back, a Thierry Henry or a David Beckham in MLS. Yeah. He wanted his DPs to be young, not yet established guys who have the tools but haven't reached their ceiling yet. So he went after three attacking guys. He went after Miguel Almiron on the midfield and then two guys in Joseph Martinez and Tito Vialba who can both play up top, and I think they're going to be two of the fastest guys in MLS. I think Vialba has a chance to be one of the fastest players in the world. So they're going to be a lot of fun. It's a very South American flair. And then on the back line, I don't think the defense really gets a lot of credit. You mentioned Garza and Parkhurst, a couple of um, obviously U.S. men's national team veterans, and uh, Parkhurst has significant MLS experience. Yes, That's important when you bring in the youth because these guys don't know the difficulty of MLS. There are a lot of travel issues that you run into that you don't have in other countries because it is such a large country mm -hmm. and going from coast to coast and all that travel creates issues. Um, the language barrier obviously creates it creates issues. And then also they're not used to the heat and humidity of June and July in Atlanta yeah. <laughs> uh, as opposed to some of these other places that they may be playing. So you need a veteran in there to kind of get the young kids ready to go. But I think they went about building a team the right way. We'll just see over the next couple of months how well they all come together and play. And I think that they, for about 60 minutes on Sunday, looked like they, they had the chemistry down already. The other 30, not so much. And you've had, an, obviously, the first-hand opportunity to, to really check out this Atlanta United team. I've seen predictions kind of all over the place, honestly, with where this team is going to finish. I, I have them finishing just outside the playoff picture when it's all said and done in the East. I, I know it's really early, of course, but from what you saw seeing them play firsthand against a, a good team, arguably one of the the best in the Eastern Conference, does this team have a chance to to make a run or is that still are we still way too early to even be thinking about something like that? Yeah, there are a couple of factors to consider. I think that the tools are there on this team. You definitely have the right mix and combination of players to make a run. Agreed. But you don't know if it's all going to come together. These 11 have never played together. They had a short preseason. They couldn't start until late January. And so they only had four games to play in preseason, whereas New York Red Bulls had, I think, seven or eight preseason games plus the CCL where they lost in the two legs to Vancouver on aggregate. So they, they had already come together. They knew exactly what they were trying to do, even though they had switched formations and traded their captain and Dax McCarty to Chicago Fire over the offseason. So, um, you know, it, it's hard to take a whole lot away from the game against New York Red Bulls, except for the fact that for, for a solid 60 minutes in the middle of the game, from about the 20-minute mark to about the 75-minute mark, Atlanta United looked like they were playing together. They had a great attack moving forward. They had a number of tremendous opportunities. And to be honest, Miguel Amoron in the 67th minute missed a chip when he had Joseph Martinez flanking him on the left side. And it was two-on-one with the keeper, a situation where you felt that it was a certain goal. And Almiron went for the chip instead of laying it off for, for Martinez. I think Martinez was offside anyway. And so that was the turning point. That's when New York Red Bulls turned things around. It should have been 2-0 Atlanta, and instead New York Red Bulls pops off two quick goals. So 
they battled, they fought. I'm, I'm still holding expectations, but I think the tools are in place. we just got to see how they all come together. Yeah, and I'd agree with you on that one as well, too. We are talking with Kyle Tate of 92.9 The Game down in Atlanta, the flagship of Atlanta United here on the shopfutsal.com. Call in line. Kyle, Atlanta takes on the other expansion club this week in Minnesota United. Atlanta going on the road for the first time uh, to go from one college football stadium to another, basically, as they head up to TCF Bank Stadium in Minneapolis. The little different weather I feel like they're going to have to cope with as well, too, when they, when they take the field against Minnesota United. Uh, I, I think, honestly, that Atlanta, as you mentioned, has the tools I don't think Minnesota is going to be able to rebound, honestly, from that manhandling that they faced against Portland as well, too. Is it a, I think it's kind of an open-and-shut case, personally, that Atlanta should walk away with three points uh, against Minnesota. Yeah, it's a great opportunity to get three points. I think you have to consider it a disappointment if you only get one. Um, but they're probably going to have to break out the orange ball in the snow, so weather is, is always going to be a factor, especially with the South American flair that's on this team. Guys aren't really used to playing in the snow. Um, but it, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, I think that Minnesota United, like you said, they, they came away with a 5-1 loss to Portland. Right. That game, though, remember, was a lot closer than the final score line would indicate. It's true. Um, they did, yeah. There's a couple. I mean, it was 3-1 at, at the end, basically, and then they just kind of got lucky with a couple of the, the, other, the ways the balls bounced for them at the end of the game. Yeah, so Minnesota United, you know, they, you couldn't have two expansion teams take two different purposes to build proper after, like I said, youth and speed mm-hmm. and guys who have potential rather than guys who are beyond, who are past their potential and past their prime, whereas Minnesota United really hasn't done a whole lot. They've taken the slow and steady approach in the long haul, and they've kept a lot of their guys from the roster that was in the NASL. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they have a very defensive kind of stay back and park the bus type team. So you've got two teams with very differing personalities on the pitch, and it'll be interesting to watch. But, but Minnesota United did hold against portland it's still early in mls right and so i know that portland is still kind of trying to to find their way as all teams are but i it'll be interesting to see what happens on on sunday and how things all come together on both sides but i agree with just looking at the players on paper you have to imagine that atlanta united comes away with three absolutely all right kyle good stuff from you sir uh where can people find your work and find you on social media as well too yeah, on Twitter, I'm at here Kyle Tate, last name T-A-I-T. Fantastic, Kyle. Let's do it again sometime soon, all right? Sounds good, Bax. Thanks. All right, no problem. There goes Kyle Tate on the shopfutsal.com call-in line uh, as we continue on with the program. We're actually going to be joined by Simon Provan here in just a brief moment. He's going to be phoning in uh, to, to give us his MLS predictions and, of course, his overall MLS thoughts from the weekend that was uh, in Major League Soccer. Uh, my New England Revolution, of course, losing in traditional fashion to the Colorado Rapids, but we'll talk about that in brief in just a brief moment. So uh, I believe we've got Simon now on the line. Simon, good day to you, sir. How are we? Oh, doing okay, Baxter. Could be doing better, but uh, you know, taking care of a very sick dog right now. Ugh, never any so, fun. Yeah, so, but I think this is the first time in two upfront history in which I'm calling you from a pet hospital. I, I yeah, I don't think I've ever been house. to a pet hospital on purpose, honestly. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I think I may have U-turned or you know parked to take a nap or something in a pet hospital parking lot once or twice, but uh, there you go. Never on purpose, though. <laughs> Well, uh, we definitely wish a speedy recovery for uh, for the Provan family dog, of course. Um, I, I think we need to talk about MLS opening weekend briefly. If you've got a, if you've got a little bit of free time there, Simon. Sure. Uh, I mean, what what can you really say about Portland? I mean, I'm sure you were ecstatic, and I know you were ecstatic because you posted about it a lot on social media, um, and people were trying to pop wind in your sails right away, saying, "Well, Simon, they beat an expansion club." But your thoughts, though? I mean, Portland looked good, though. I'll be honest; they looked really fluid and really smart and strong for 90 minutes. Yeah, I think uh, you know my my concern still remains with the defense. You know, maybe things change when Roy Miller gets in that back line after finishing up his contract with right. the Prisa. Uh But, you know, once Christian Ramirez came on from Minnesota, he he really figured out the holes in the Timbers' defense, so that they do have to figure that out. But, um, you know, considering the rough season they had last year, I, I don't care if they're playing NYCFC. I don't, I don't care if they're playing Seattle. I don't care if they're playing Minnesota United. You start the season with a 5-1 banger, man, that's that's got to be exciting for any fan. I mean, and, and, of yeah. course, you know, you do got a feel for – our good friend Justin Davis having a rough game there yeah. in Portland. Uh, so hopefully hopefully Minnesota's defense can be a little bit better. But 
it looks like they're in for a rough ride this season, Baxter. I would agree with you on that one as well, too. And we just heard from, from Kyle Tate, who covers Atlanta United down uh, in Atlanta for 92-9 the game, and he said that he thinks Atlanta is just taking an entirely different path than what Minnesota is going to take this season and uh, predicts that they're going to win as well this weekend uh, against Minnesota, even though the game is at Minnesota as well, too. I mean, anytime you get two expansion clubs duking it out, of course, it's going to be a topic of conversation, but we'll we'll get into our predictions here in just a little bit. Uh, sure. Other takeaways from the weekend that was in Major League Soccer. Uh, I, I will be honest, the two teams that I was actually watching semi-close was the Columbus-Chicago game, um, just because we we talked a lot about during the offseason of Chicago making all these transfers and you know trying to rejuvenate who Chicago Fire Soccer is. And even Columbus as well, too. But a 1-1 draw, I think, uh, semi-respectable result, I guess, for, for both of these clubs. Yeah, you know, they're, they're quasi-rivals. Uh, I think it's a much better result for Chicago than it was for Columbus. Of course, yes. Chicago now having to deal with uh, Goosens being out for five to six weeks, which is going to really hurt them in the midfield. Um, but, again, considering, you know, two last-place finishes for the Chicago Fire to start the season on the road with a draw, Against a decent club in Columbus, that that does speak positive for Chicago. I think Columbus, though, um, they've got some things to figure out. They really weren't that impressive, uh, yeah. for my money anyway. No, and, and you have 100% of my support on that as well, too. I was not uh, wowed by anything the Fire were doing, honestly, from from the game that I was able to watch. Uh, we can. Are there any of the draw games you need to? We want to dwell on at all, honestly. I mean, I, I was able to go back and catch most of all of them, but I mean, Real Salt Lake TFC zero zero. Credit Nick Romando for his incredible PK save on Juvenco. Yeah, right. Easily could have been a yep. one nil game, but uh, RSL Rio Tinto still to this day until Nick Romando retires, I think will always be a hard place to win at, no matter how good of a team you have coming in. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you. I think that was one of the more surprising results, to be honest with you. I, I can't remember if we both had picked Toronto to win that game. I think we did. I'm not um, sure. Maybe. We, did I pick a draw on that one? Uh, we both took Toronto on that one. Okay, right. Um, so, yeah, you know, a good result for RSL, considering many people are picking a, a final that would feature FC Dallas and Toronto. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, definitely the teams to beat. And that would be my other takeaway, Baxter, is FC Dallas is exactly uh, who we thought they would be to go to L.A. and, and defeat them 2-1. to one. They looked uh, good. Calum they looked Acosta. real good. <laughs> yeah. Yep, absolutely. And, and the one thing, I, the other game I want to talk about real quick, the Orlando-New York City FC game. You know, we both, yeah. we both had uh, reservations about our own picks of not taking Orlando because of opening that new stadium. But look, I... To be honest with you, I think New York City FC dominated most of that game. Mm. And uh, I know there's articles out there saying maybe Orlando's a lot better than we thought, but I don't I think gotta so. got to believe that that result was a bit of an anomaly for Orlando for the rest of the season. They will, yeah. And now that they lose Kaká as well, too, for an extended period of time, I think that that really throws a monkey wrench in what Orlando was hoping to do this season. And we, you and I had a conversation even just by phone on, over the weekend before the game started. We're like, look, if Orlando ends up winning this game, it's because of all the new stadium hype. I mean, that you know, when you get a new stadium, when you open a venue for the first time and you pack it to the brim, this an extra level, it's almost like it is an extra two or three players on the field with you, and Orlando was just able to use the soccer gods' powers to, to get that ball played perfectly to Kyle Lahren to, to nod it in. So, I mean, congratulations on Kyle for scoring that goal. But, yeah, as you mentioned, though, NYCFC, the better team overall, but I, I don't know really where you go from here if you are Orlando now, especially that you're missing your big guy in Kaká. Right. Yeah, absolutely. There's uh, <laughs> That says a bunch right there. Hey, Bex, let me uh, give, give me one second here. I know we're live, but give me a second to scoot out of this room. <laughs> the beauty of live things. I love it sometimes. The, sometimes <laughs> the environment has a different mind, I guess, sometimes as, you you're, as you're trying to do things. Uh, I, I, will say, okay. I will say this, Simon. I got an opportunity to, to catch the two, two games that I was – one game I didn't try to catch on purpose was the San Jose-Montreal game. Uh, San Jose looks really, really good. Um, I don't know if that's them being good or if it's Montreal being bad. Yeah, that's, uh, I didn't get to see the game myself, to be honest with you, but all the reports I'm reading were saying that uh, San Jose is is actually looking to be a really good club. They, um, I, I they move the ball with, really well, honestly. Right, and that's, I guess that's the surprising part for me is we had talked about last week how I felt 
they've got so many players from so many different systems. Yes. I just don't see them gelling quick enough, but uh, hey, completely wrong about that one. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right about that. And I, like I said, I'm, from what I was able to see, I was just wowed through and through with what they were able to produce this week. Uh, we need to, we need to talk briefly about the Houston Seattle game because Houston honestly just took Seattle to the cleaners, brought them there, got them dirty, brought them back, cleaned them again, and then finally Clint Dempsey got a nice little rebound goal. But holy cow, Houston was on fire and just incredible goals, incredible passing, just awareness. Their offseason has been nothing but a success, and day one has been a, a huge success for them also. Yeah, well, you know, I, with our picks last week, you had picked Houston to win. Yeah. I picked Seattle, even going against my grain of what I was saying on our last show, that I think Houston's going to be a lot better than people are predicting. I've, obviously, I picked them to make the playoffs, and, man, they they obviously proved me wrong with my pick, which I'm never disappointed when I when – I, pick Seattle and they end up losing anyways. <laughs> of course. <laughs> but, no, I uh, totally get that. But Houston in the West, you know, watch out. They Kavara's got them almost it almost seems to me he's got a well oiled well oiled machine down there already in Houston. Agreed with you on that one. And then uh, the Red Bulls going two one over Atlanta, even though Atlanta scored first, the Red Bulls ultimately uh, showing and flexing their muscles uh, with the MLS experience to win that game. Vancouver and Philly draw 0-0. DC United and Sporting draw 0-0. Rapids beat the Rebs uh, 1-0. And I, th- yeah, that's that was that was the week that was in Major League Soccer. Yeah, uh, you know, I don't know what to say about most of it. I think most people would like to see a little bit more goal scoring over the weekend. Agreed, um, but. But I think there there were plenty of exciting games that will keep people interested for week two. I agree. All right, let's make some predictions here for week two, Simon, as we get ready to wrap up the program. Um, I've got mine ready to roll. Are you ready to roll with your predictions? I'm I'm ready to roll. All right, Chicago and RSL. Who are you taking? Chicago is hosting. Yeah, I think uh, as well as they did in Columbus, Baxter, I think RSL is actually going to take this one. That's, uh, that, that's again, my they, prediction also. Yeah, midfield injury there that's that could be pretty massive. So All right. I'm gonna go with gonna go with RSL. Sounds good. The Revolution playing host to the Orlando City uh Lions, rather. Uh I I have a draw in this game just because I didn't see enough from the Rebs in their game against Colorado to be excited, but now Orlando as well too. I really don't know what they bring, especially now without Kaka. I think it's gonna be probably a boring zero zero draw. Yeah, I would agree with you with most of that. Um, there really wasn't much firepower that we saw with New England, but I, Orlando does have some of that firepower yet, of course, with Kyle Laren. True. Um, but I think they're, I think they're going to really suffer a lot without Kaká in that midfield. So I'm, I'm actually going to take New England. Maybe another 1-0 game here. Sounds good. Red Bulls and the Rapids. Red Bulls playing host. I've got the Red Bulls running away with this one. I'll go with, I will go with... Uh, yeah, I, I don't think Colorado's going to do much on the road this year. I'm going to take New York as well. All right, Philadelphia playing host to TFC. I've got the Reds taking this game. Wasn't very impressed, honestly, with the Philly performance against against Vancouver. I think TFC is going to make them pay for some of their silly mistakes that the Whitecaps couldn't. Ah, uh, well, you know, in future years we'll see about Philadelphia. There's been a lot of write-ups about their fantastic. Uh, Academy, I know Don Garber was just there, so maybe in years ahead, Philly may be the team to beat, uh, but they're not this year, um, but I'm, I'm actually going to take a draw on this one, Baxter. Sounds good. Montreal hosting the Sounders. I think the Sounders are out for blood. However, Montreal can be known to surprise people at times. I'm taking a draw on this one, honestly, just because I was very underwhelmed by what Seattle did in opening week. Uh, I think they still have some things to figure out, honestly, in, the, in, their, in their lineup. Yeah, I'll make this quick. I'm taking Montreal. Okie doke. And then Houston playing uh, Columbus. I've got the Dynamo for sure, uh, probably shutting out Columbus. (laughs) I'm right there with you. Uh, SKC and FC Dallas. I'm going to take FC Dallas. I really believe that this is the club to beat this year. I would agree with you on that one. Also, uh, San Jose and Vancouver. I'm calling a draw on this one, actually. Okay. Okay. I am going to say I believe a little bit more in what San Jose is doing, and I'm going to take them for the win. Sounds good. D.C. United playing NYCFC. This actually, I think, is the toughest game for the weekend for Hmm. predictions. Um, 
I think oh, this is tough. This is tough. I, you know what? DC United is hosting. I'm going to take them. I think New York City has a good chance, hmm. uh, but they got to finish, and they didn't show much of that in Orlando. I don't know if they're going to be able to finish this weekend, so for that reason, I'll take DC United. Sounds good. DC is actually visiting NYCFC, just as an FYI. Oh, they're visiting. I thought you said they're hosting. Okay. Uh, uh, see, this is what happens when you're at a pet hospital and you can't look at a schedule. <laughs> <laughs> no, no problem at all. You still sticking with DC, though? Um, yeah, sure. What the heck? Okay. Minnesota and Atlanta? There's, there's my great analysis for you. I what love it. Yeah, why too. not? Be, just, just because. Okay, sounds good. Uh, Minnesota and Atlanta, who do you got? I'm taking Atlanta. Okay, same here. And, of course, Portland and the Galaxy. Yeah, I know Portland's on the road. Yep. Uh, I, I don't – oh, boy. L.A. did not look very good in That's that true. game against Dallas. So maybe they come out a little bit more hungry this time around. Maybe they can expose Portland's defense. You know, Baxter, I was going to take the Timbers because I liked what I saw from them up front, but I, I'm going to take the Galaxy in this one. Ooh, maybe the upset of the week, as it were. Yeah. Awesome, awesome. All right, Simon, well, uh, I'll let you about, run. Well, you can't let me run yet. Who do you oh. got in that game? Oh, I've got Portland. Sorry, I've got Portland okay. winning that game. My fault. Good. My fault on that one. Yeah, I've got, I've got Portland. I like what I saw. Yeah, good, of course. I, I like what I saw from them. Uh, opening day, and I think it's going to translate over nicely to uh, a, still a Galaxy team still trying to figure out who they are, honestly. Yeah, that, no, that's that's very true. All right, Simon, good stuff from you. Uh, quick, I believe, before we let you run? Uh, yes, I do believe that there's a lot of talk out there. I don't know if you covered this on the show today. Sorry, I haven't been able to listen myself, but a lot of talk out there about some German clubs. Very, very interested in Walker Zimmerman out of Ooh. FC Dallas. So I, I didn't I even know that, believe. honestly. Yes, yes. It's been reported by, I think, 442, Gold.com, com. So, so it's, it's news that I think perhaps broke late last night or this morning. Um, so I, I do believe that if not by the end of this year, uh, before next year starts, Walker Zimmerman, if not in Germany, he will be playing abroad next year. Sounds good. I appreciate the, uh, the insight there, Simon. My I believe is that uh, I believe... Um... What do I believe? I, I believe that uh, expansion in MLS still has a long way to go to prove that uh, these teams can make an immediate impact. There, it's kind of a kind of a kind of a, a wild loosey goose one, but uh, that's my I believe. That's what I'm going to go with, I guess. <laughs> well, right. I, I appreciate you subbing, you know, or having people sub in from it. So, so I know it's been a bit of a uh, wild goosey show. So that you know, it's very there you go. It, it goes with the theme, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, Simon. Well, we look forward to having you back here uh, in the studio next week. Uh, best wishes to your family and your dog as well, too. Thanks so much, Baxter. Talk to you soon. Sounds good. There goes Simon Provan on the shopfutsal.com. Call in line. Special thanks to Kyle Tate and Dan Loletta for joining us on the program as well, too. Uh, give, us a, give us a like on Facebook, Two Up Front. Uh, like Brew Sports as well here as well, too. Uh, you can follow Two Up Front on social media at Two Up Front Soccer, at Baxter Colburn, at Simon Provan, and, of course, at Brew Sportsnet and the whole hashtag Brew Sports as well, too. Coming up next on Brew Sports, it is halftime with myself and Tanner Burke. That's coming up here in just a few short minutes. Thanks so much for watching. Uh, with our manager being the one above, we are Two Up Front. Hike the trail? Check. Order takeout? Check. Schedule heart checkup? Done. We've all adapted to a new way of living. Keep your health care on schedule with Johns Hopkins Medicine, where your health and safety are our highest priorities. We're ready to care for you through virtual and in-person visits across Maryland and the greater Washington region. Your health, our experts, safely caring for you. Schedule your care now. 
Learn more at hopkinsmedicine.org forward slash safe. Me, 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 but also you. The Pharaoh fast forwards his favorite foreign film, Powder Donut. <clears throat> okay, what's my line? Uh, the only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the name and price tool from Progressive. Oh man, that's a tongue twister, huh? I'm sorry, I'm gonna need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous Walrus, the Bulbous Walrus. The name your price tool, only from Progressive. The owl and a foul of the comatose coxswain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law.